to animals. My name is Shannon Katz. I'm an animal intuitive and sensitive, aka an animal communicator. This here, if you're watching the video version of our podcast blogcast today, is Pearl Katz, a bona fide animal. He is my 20, nearly 24-year-old feathered sidekick, and he never misses an episode. And today we are talking with Laura Marie Appleman from Wisconsin. She's uh, with lauramarieyourac.com. And we are in season three here of Let's Talk to Animals, which means uh, if you've been following along for a while, we have the first two seasons where we really just kind of demystified a little bit, de-wooed. What is animal communication? Who can do it? How does it happen? How can you learn? What is it good for? That kind of sort of thing. And then now here in season three, we're kind of taking a look at the what's next. You know, what yeah, it's super fun when we start talking to animals and it's an amazing exploration of, you know, kind of like these higher levels of what it means to be human. And in fact, I feel like I very much learned a lot more about my own mechanism as a human animal um, when I started practicing animal communication and certainly at five decades, I kind of thought I had tackled big, most of the big learning experiences and lo and behold, here's another one. But one of the reasons I've invited Laura Marie on the show today is because she's got a really strong background in laboratory and animal science and Western veterinary medicine and really is well equipped to help kind of break down, you know, what happens when it's not fun in games, when we talk to an animal and they, they let us know that they're hurting in some way, whether physically or emotionally, they let us know that they have unmet needs or that they have past trauma we weren't even aware of. And, you know, as, as pet guardians, carers, fosters, rescue workers, shelter managers, we're left with the question of what do I do? How can I help? You know, the conversation is, it's one point of light on the roadmap towards, you know, integrated animal wholeness and health and wellness and quality of life, but it's only where it's just one hat out of many. And so sometimes we come across, we're lucky enough to come across animal communicators who can wear more than one hat and have very unique backgrounds and life experiences and education and skills that, you know, we can, we can start to help answer that question rather than just sending our human clients out blind. And, and so that's why I, I, I'm really excited to have you on the show today, Laura Marie, and I really appreciate your time. So, you know, what's coming. I, I prepped you before we started. Yeah. I said, I always invite our guests to share, just take us back, you know, share a little bit about your story. What did it take to get to where you are now? You know, some of the obstacles and opportunities and um, kind of just share a little bit about what you do, yeah, <laughs> who you so are and I, what you do. <laughs> I have a really strong background in science and looking back, the only reason I pursued science is because that was really the only thing I was good at. Um, I wasn't very good at math. I I was terrible at, at English studies, but somebody had told me, you're really good at science. You should, you should do that. Um, and I, I have to say along that journey, um, looking back, I can't say that the classes I terribly enjoyed, um, but I, I was good at them. Um, and because I work in science, because I work in the medical field, I'm also a recovering type A personality. And I think a lot of people can relate to that where you're very logical. You try to analyze everything to death. Um, 
And this has been a real journey for me too, because I used to try and control everything in my life, you know, so very left brained, very much trying to um, analyze and organize everything. And when you learn to work with the animals, you really have to learn to let some of that go in order to really free up your mind and be able to work with them. And originally I didn't pursue animal communication. I actually studied as a dog trainer. Um, and I did that for almost two years. I thought that was going to be my journey because I thought that's how I was going to help people. And um, when I was studying as a dog trainer, ter I was terrible at it, quite honestly. I would get, I would get very so distracted. By what the animals were doing and if something was difficult for them I would sit there and I would think huh I wonder why this is so difficult I wonder why they're struggling with this when the other one got it just fine and I would kind of sit with them and at the time I didn't do animal communication but I really wanted to know more about them and somebody randomly reached out to me and sent me a picture of their animal to connect with and I had no <sighs> idea what that meant at all. I had no idea what they were even asking me. Um, and admittedly, my answers were correct. So, you know, then I started pursuing animal communication a little bit more to understand how to be consistent and how to really meet with them on a heart level and understand them more and realized that was really more of my journey on how to help them. And along that way, I started studying, you know, Reiki and alternative therapies along that line too. And that just opened up a whole new world for me that I really wasn't expecting um, to really find along that journey for sure. Um, so I would say now having worked with the animals and I think you'll understand this, I feel so much calmer mm -hmm. than I used to because there's that they bring out that calmness in you. And in order to do the animal communication, you really do have to quiet your mind and learn how to live in the present moment. And I have to say that wasn't always easy on the journey. You know, there was a lot of stumbling blocks for me. You're essentially unlearning years of what you've, you've done and been taught and how you act in order to be able to communicate with animals. But um, for anybody out there that's really aspiring to do this and, you know, you feel really left brained, it's, it's, it's able to be done. If I did it, that means anybody is able to do it. Right. You know, with well, what I love and my intuitive teacher, Sonia Shoket often uh, quotes Einstein as saying either nothing's a miracle or everything's a miracle. And so I, I've, I've kind of ported that over, and especially when I'm working with my own animal communication students. And I'm saying, you know, either this is a universal language that truly is available to all species or yeah. it's not. Yeah. So it's the premise that we, that we take going in either with an attitude of open-minded curiosity noticing, wondering, wanting to learn, even if, you know, we don't master it on the first or a hundredth try, just wanting to have the experience and being open to whatever it presents or coming in, marching in, you know, with our preset prejudices or sense of limitation or past failures or whatever it may be. And, and that, that, that may shut it down, but 
you know, there's, there's, there is a basic operating system. And I love, I love your background in science because the more I kind of dig down underneath the layers and there's books out there and there's papers and there's research that show we kind of, we're kind of more alike than different. We have, you know, some functionality of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, sensing, knowing we have, we all have kind of the same basic survival wiring and amongst the human animals, we can converse with each other and you don't have to explain what the words good vibes or bad vibes mean. Yeah, <laughs> We can yeah. all kind of go, yeah, I've had those. And so yeah. the, you know, the pathways are there. I love how you said, you said it's, it's about, you know, kind of unlearning, you know, I took the marketing and um, business. I just the opposite of you uh, really. I mean, I faint at the sight of my own blood and other. I math, what is that? Um, yeah. you know, I, I signed up for astronomy because I thought it was astrology in college. <laughs> I lasted one day, but English has always been a breeze. And so I ended up in a lot of public speaking classes and presentations and things like that. And the teacher used to say, you know, 90% of conversation is nonverbal. And then would proceed to base our grade almost entirely on the 10% that's verbal. Mm -hmm. And I often used to wonder, I wonder what this 90% is all about, but nobody else seemed that curious. And, you know, so this is really, um, this is, you know, really a good place for those of you who are listening or watching, you may you may be getting curious and wondering and thinking, you know, I do feel like there's a huge nonverbal component. And, and I, fa- I feel like, Laura Marie, you mentioned it on your website too, when you, you know, maybe you meet somebody and you just feel like you click with them or they just yeah. repel you and you don't know why. It's like, yeah. what is that? Yeah. That, that deeper energy level that we feel. And, you know, when we when I explore dog training, of course, it's all about body language, right? Learning to understand body language. And when you get into animal communication, you feel that it's such a deeper level and you don't, you don't need the signals, the visual cues to tell you what an animal is experiencing. And it just helps you not only understand animals at a deeper level, but I think other people too, like you feel more connected to everything because you're essentially understanding an entire species um, an entire group of, of animals that that never had a voice otherwise. And I think that's really the beautiful thing about the whole thing is that that deeper connection that you feel. And I I feel like that has the ability to to really heal the planet in a lot of ways just because of that deeper understanding that you feel, you know. So I think there's something really beautiful about that as well. You know, I think that's just brilliant. I mean, there are stories abound on the internet. We can find them every time we log into social media. Thank goodness. Um, because yeah. it kind of distracts us from all the other stuff that's there about people who just come across a wild animal and they, they just feel this animal needs my help. This animal's yeah. even asking for my help. And there are these amazing rescue stories. I mean, I I'm surrounded by houseplants right now. And <laughs> a lot of, you know, if you're listening or watching and you're thinking, well, I don't even have an animal or I'm allergic to animals. This can't possibly yeah. apply to me. First of all, bravo. Congratulations for being here. Um, yeah. It's wonderful that you're listening anyway. Second of all, ask yourself if you happen to have a houseplant or a garden plant, if you've ever just walked over to them and thought, you know, that plant needs something from me, maybe some water, maybe some fertilizer, and you didn't check it and you weren't going a according to a schematic on the back of a package, you were just sensing there's something 
there's something that's needed here and you just felt moved to offer. You can do the same thing with, with other human animals, especially when you do have a bond, like you were mentioning, Laura Marie, when you, you have that you know deeper intuitive bond, it can be difficult, more difficult and also easier to practice with animals, human or non-human that we have yeah. a bond with. Um, it's yeah. easier to misunderstand or misinterpret, but it's also easier to receive information. So it's like the one part is the receiving of it because the channel's open. Maybe we've decided we love them. We trust them. But then it's, you know, kind of, again, what do we do with it? And that is the, the nuts and bolts of, you know, what you're doing. I also yeah. have some medical intuitive training. And let me just tell you from a non-sciencey person, I mean, if I had a different brain, I would definitely have loved to pursue <laughs> science, but my brain said no, right from the get-go. I finally figured out one day about three quarters of the way through my college career that nobody in their right mind would ever hire me to do their taxes. <laughs> and then I just thought, you know, it, the C doesn't really matter. The D doesn't really matter because- yeah. And clearly, you know, I mean, so, so, you know, having, so we have to be, I, I say that just, you have to be open to surprises because of what you shared, how you never expected no. to land here. No. So when that was first happening for you, that must've been, you know, how did you kind of navigate through that and kind of decide you were going to trust yourself and trust this process? You know, I started out really small and I found like some practice sites online. And I think having been through that experience, I just want to share with people to be very careful because it's easy to get really turned off. Like not everybody really understands animal communication. And sometimes they'll ask you to do things that aren't really maybe ethical or they're just, they're just not conducive to animal communication. Like please tell my animal not to run out of the yard. You know what I mean? Things, things like that. Um, but I think when I started with it, I was curious and I had a few good moments in there, but I kind of realized people could be mean in those. And I think that could be very discouraging when you're trying to learn and you're, you're really trying to put yourself out there and you feel very vulnerable in that yeah. moment where you're trying to just start out and just see what you get. And um, I remember one of the first ones I did, I meditated for an hour. I got two lines of information that were a hundred percent wrong. And the person just responded, no. And it was crushing, you know, it yeah. was crushing that that was my response, but I, I think I so badly wanted to do it. Um, so I found some other practice sites that I, that I paid for that were monitored, that were much, yeah. much more um, conducive to practicing and having really good support. And I think that's so, so important when you're, you're starting out on something that's really such a new journey and you're trying to learn is to really have that, that proper support behind you. I know everybody has um you know, it really tries to watch their finances, but this is something that if you really want to do it, it's worth spending a little extra money to make sure you have a safe place to practice. And then, you know, as I worked with different teachers too, I kind of realized um, kind of the areas I wanted to focus on and, um, you know, really working with the medical and health um, end of life 
decisions and also some behavioral as well to really kind of focus on those and to have those be kind of my stronger areas that that I worked in and and really enjoy doing and I think for me it's as much connecting with the animal as it is with the person you know what you really have to have that that strong bond to the person you're working with too to be able to really help them and be able to see their needs as much as the needs of their animal when you're working with them. So um, I will say, you know, some of the journey can be a little bit lonely in the sense that everybody develops differently, you know? And so if you're going through those moments or you're experiencing, you know, as a student and you think, man, I was <laughs> really good a month ago and now I feel like I'm kind of at rock bottom. Looking back for me, those moments when I struggled the most is when I was also growing the most. And so just to keep in mind, if you thought you were doing really good and now you're in a tough spot, look at your life where it is now. Are you really busy right now? You know, or are you developing new clairs? Are you just developing new tools? And that's why it feels difficult. And to really stick with that because, you know, it's easy to get discouraged in those moments and it's okay to take a little break. It's okay to take a little break and regroup and, and get that joy back, get that excitement back to keep pursuing it. I think, I think that's important. Yeah. No, you make so many good points. Um, one of my other uh, business teachers Christine Kane shares a story that she thinks is cliched and I think is brilliant. And it's about what happens when you plant a seed. Yeah. What happens? You put the seed in the seed starter or in the soil. What happens next? You know, we all think that the little cute green shoots come up and we're like, oh, look, a seedling. No, first that seed has to push a whole heaping load of dirt up out of the way and just it has to actually push its way up out of the dirt so it's like the very first thing that comes up is dirt yeah and so it's such a good analogy for and because it's a nature analogy too it's such a good analogy for how it can feel when we're growing mm -hmm. and and how anything unlike what we're attempting to achieve, which could mean limitations or um, stereotypes or the critical voices of others or what would so-and-so think if they knew or I must be nuts to what do I think about what I'm doing, yeah. you know, because there's that left brain components that's kind of looking at you like, do I know you? And, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, totally. so we have to, yeah, so we have to, one of the aspects that you touch on so brilliantly that I really feel has been critical for me as well is yes, there's, there can be that lonely making factor. And so it's really calls us to learn how to befriend ourselves, really yeah. learn how to, how can I have my own back? You know, a while ago and back in another, another iteration of my career, when I was recovering from an eating disorder and running in um, online mentoring charity for, uh, for people that were in recovery, um, I realized I was going to, you know, I was going to have to spend 24 seven, like the rest of my life with myself. <laughs> and I just didn't think I was that much fun to hang out with. And I was like, I really, you know, <laughs> I'd like to be able to feel like I could enter a room or a new experience and feel like I have, 
you know, an ally at the very least, um, a supporter, ideally a best friend, you know, coming with me. And so it's like, you know, a lot of times if we do choose to do what you suggest, which is to make that little bit of extra investment, it doesn't have to, to be a tremendous amount of money, no. but it's like to make that investment, to go with somebody who, who has the ethics and the standards and has taken the time to create an experience for students that holds and supports them. Once we get through that initial process, if we have built community, we're kind of on our own. That's yeah. actually another reason for this podcast is to help people share their stories and connect with others and just serve as a point of connection for the animal communication community because yeah. it's we we crave learning how others do it. And I don't yeah. think it's just for comparison purposes. I think it's for community purposes because we're all kind of, I mean, I do believe what you said about the planet. I often think to myself, you know, Mars would probably be pretty cool to visit, you know, maybe <laughs> summer break or something, but I like it here. Yeah. <laughs> and I really yeah. think we could still do something here. And this feels like perhaps why so many of us are awakening to yeah so if, you know you're kind of in this experience of you're like you picked let's talk to animals instead of you know five healthy habits to you know elevate your longevity or you know how to work a four-hour week or whatever it is that's yeah. out there or, you know healthy cooking for vegans I don't know you know there's millions of podcasts and you pick this one and so you know just recognize maybe there's something in you that's like I think I have a role in saving the planet I think yeah. I might have something to contribute. I think I might have something I want to contribute, you know? And so that's just kind of, it's like, for me, I woke up in a meditation one morning and heard you are an animal intuitive and sensitive. And I thought that is fascinating, but what the heck does that mean? <laughs> well, I'm at hired animal communicators. I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't do animal, you know, yeah. people, student, my, my, my communicators would tell me and I would say, Oh yeah, no, that's okay. What do I owe you? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's too hard. It's like, it's, you know, it's different, but it's not, it's not difficult. And I actually think that your scientific mind really feeds in well, because, you know, a little tweak here and there, the left brain can really become a strong ally in this yeah. process. However, it needs a little bit of checks and balances. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about, I'd love to hear a little bit more. It's very rare that I get to chat with a fellow medical intuitive and you have a very different background than I do. And yes. so I would love to hear a little bit more about kind of how you mediate that. And, you know, obviously I do believe that, 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 you know, we're not one size fits all in our community, you know, different yes. client, human clients and animal clients will be drawn to us or perhaps repelled. We may not be yeah. the right fit. And, and, and hopefully our human clients are mindful of that and feeling, you know, when they go to our websites or they take a look at what we have to offer and are thinking, yes, this, I really want to have an experience with this person or, oh, heck no, how did I end up here kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, just walk us through, you know, what it's, what it's like to dialogue with a human and animal team a pair when there are some medical intuition kind of tidbits cropping up and kind of what's that process like, you know, because a lot of people don't even understand what medical intuition is, yeah. let so, alone how it works or how it can help. I always like my clients to have seen a vet. I think that's so important because um, also having a medical background, 
there's a lot of problems that lie under the surface. They haven't manifested in the physical, but prevention is a big part of what we do, right? And being able to know about that ahead of time through lab testing is always really important. Having said that, when you meet with somebody whose animal has um, some sort of health problem, I experience what the animal experiences normally. So I can feel the pain in my body where the animal would feel the discomfort. Um, and also, um, sometimes they just draw me to the area and I'm like, oh, this is this is the area of concern. So I get it kind of two different ways. Um, and then I can have the animal expand on, you know, um, pain scores, kind of helping me understand um, how that hurts. Is that is it always that way? Is it is it just before medication? Is it after medication? What helps? You know, kind of exploring some of those topics um, a little bit more and being able to work with that and kind of go through the whole body and being able to explain it back to the person in a way that they can understand and and kind of comprehend as well because sometimes animals are really good at hiding discomfort and so that's also important where sometimes there's a behavioral change but the body is actually experiencing discomfort, but it's coming out as a behavioral change and not showing or exhibiting any discomfort. So that's also really important um, to see. I love it when the animals have amazing insight. One of the most um, profound experiences I had, I was working with um, an animal that had acid reflux. And this was like life-changing for me because the animal was getting like a Western medicine treatment. And the lady realized there was something more she needed to do. And the animal said to me, I think we're treating the symptoms we haven't treated the problem. And I was like, wow. Like it was, I was like mind blown because it had the awareness that the root of the problem hadn't been addressed, which, which was a, a food issue that it, it had trouble with digestion. So, I mean, sometimes things like that happen too. And working with other people's animals, I'm constantly learning. You know what I mean? The animals are constantly teaching and they're constantly showing me things. And then I take that forward. I can not share their information, but I have that new information now that I can take forward to help with other clients, but to also help my own animals where I really change the course of how I handle their treatment, but also my own treatment. You know what I mean? I think having worked in that capacity where you have enough animals tell me that nutrition is such a key part of how they feel, then I think, well, maybe I should explore my own nutrition. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it keeps coming up for them. Maybe, maybe this is an area I need to explore, you know? So I think it, it constantly is a, a wealth of knowledge coming through for you to constantly be exploring as well. 
So. And there is that shared resonance as well, which is, you know, it's kind of where some of the, the healing, because I'm all a fellow Reiki master practitioner yes. as well. And so it's like the, some of these energy healing um, modalities that we can, we can apply also come into play to, and, and recognizing that there's a resonance between two individuals. And so it's like, yeah. you know, if uh, this is one area I find fascinating, it's like the animal communication component of why do people look like their pets? You know, you <laughs> see you know you see too it's like yeah. they also tend to or even married cup couples you know after a while they they look more alike they act more alike they prefer and dislike the same foods and it's kind of like well that's not always a good thing you know we yeah. we so it's just like just like with our animal communication teachers as you so wisely mentioned you know we we have to we have to pick we have to choose it's like if we want our animal to feel better it's important to also go back to ourselves and ask, well, how am I feeling? You know, yeah. it's like, what kind of resonance am I emitting? Um, who's in training to who would be another yeah. question. You know, yeah. I mean, ideally the strongest, highest vibration frequency um, prevails. However, you know, it's, it's the strongest frequency. And so I know, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cute. And you know, it's and and more more often than than not, we'll end up with a mirroring or a modeling situation. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that more paint. That was a big one too. Those of you who are watching the video just got a really <laughs> special treat. Sorry, guys. It's the it's parrot life. Hashtag parrot life. There yeah, you go. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Um, so yeah. So it's kind of like we got to look at, um, you know, what 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 am I doing in my yeah. life that might be impacting my animal in ways I would never dream of? And I feel like in so many ways, our animals do mirror or model for us because they know we can do, we can do better. And we I think, can do better. That's a and tough I think one. this is the thing that I see most often. Animals are incredibly patient. You know, they support us tirelessly in our pursuit to change. And they're like, you know, just like little gentle nudges. And I think sometimes we do the opposite for them. You know, we see that they're anxious or we see that they have, um, you know, some sort of behavioral problem. And obviously if it's an aggressive situation, it, it's, it's more dangerous, but sometimes we just need to give them that patience and that space to also promote that change. And obviously finding out how to do that through animal communication is, is really, really, really helpful. But that's the one thing that I, I definitely noticed the most is that we, we also have to be almost as patient as our animals are with us because um, they, they really deserve that as well. That, that ability to change. Because when you make the choice to change on your own, it's much more powerful than if somebody tells you to change, you know, if you can have that conversation about how each person is feeling, how the animal and, and, and the guardian is feeling, and then kind of work out a compromise where that animal can change on their own. It's, it's very powerful. And it, it has more lasting effect, I find than somebody trying to force a change for sure. So well, it's really interesting, because you're bringing up something that you know I know for me I as a as an aspiring newbie when I finally figured out what it meant to be an animal intuitive and sensitive 
And I was like, okay, I better, you know, enroll in a class. And I remember the day that my first animal communication teacher introduced tuning in with the human. And my, it was my very first practice session with one of my fellow students. And I was like, okay, no, I'm out. I'm just here to work with the animals, you know, it's like, and he had, he, my practice partner had to really be like, Shannon, just give it a try. Just give, you know, just try. Thank goodness I got this particular person because he was so patient with me and so encouraging because I just, you know, a lot of folks, we just, we, we get a little tired of our own species. We get a little tired of ourselves. We feel better when we're with animals and we're with our animals and we're out in nature. I mean, nobody goes to the accountant on their day off, you know, it's like, unless there's an urgent IRS problem, even yeah. like we want to go to the beach, we want to go to the forest. We want to go sit somewhere outside that has a nice view and, relax and enjoy the sounds of, of nature. And so, you know, we think after a while, well, I just, I just want to, I want to help animals, you know, animals need our help more than other human animals. It's like, oh, shoot, there's usually always at least one human attached to the, the animals that we're going to end up working with. You know, there's the rare communicators that maybe work almost exclusively with wild rescues. And even then we've got shelter managers and rehabilitators (laughs) trainers and all sorts of people and so we end up having to find ways to communicate the animal's truth that will not fall on unreceptive ears yes agreed or be misconstrued and this is where the medical intuitive part of it really gets dicey with animal communication ethics is so important because that human animal really has to understand that there's all kinds of, of, of aspects of ways of methods to approach what's needed. And it's not about either or most of the time it's about and. And I agree with that. And I think what's really scary is, you know, when somebody comes to you or when somebody has a medical diagnosis on their pet, they're following the 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 recommendations almost to the letter because they're they're scared you know and somebody has told them that this is what you have to do to keep your pet healthy this is what you have to do to keep your pet safe and I ran into this with my own animals because um I was gonna ask you about that yeah they primarily did you know a western type um type Uh, medical treatment. But what happened was they couldn't offer me anything. Like the only reason I branched out and I'm fairly new to alternative therapies, I'm going to be completely honest, probably in the last three years is because they they couldn't do anything. So I have had um, in two weeks, about a year and a half ago, I had four dogs diagnosed with major health conditions so three were fatal and one was going to be a lifelong um, situation and so initially when you get this information your brain wants to explode because it can't process what it's hearing and one of the first things I had to do was let go of the things I couldn't control And that's probably one of the hardest things, but you so badly want to focus on the fact that you can't save them. And 
I found like in those moments, I really had to focus on the things I could do. Could I change nutrition? Could I provide comfort in some other way? What supports could I put in place to make their life better? And that was that was huge for me. Um, I remember Toby was diagnosed with renal failure and le really bad left elbow arthritis. And I remember the vet saying to me, he'll just, you know, he's not a candidate for Prevacox, an anti-inflammatory. He'll just always have the arthritis. And his elbow was almost double the size it was. And I thought, well, that's, that's just dumb. You know, I thought I can't, <laughs> I can't let him live like this. And um, I learned about red light therapy as a way to help the arthritis. And, you know, it took about two weeks of treatments and the arthritis went, the inflammation went down. Um, it never swelled up again. And he walked fairly normally for the rest of his life. So that really be started the journey for me. And then of course, nutrition, you know, he wouldn't eat any of the prescription medicine they, they or prescription food they put out and I started to read the back of the bag and I realized in this prescription food, one of the first ingredients was corn. And I was like, well, my dogs have never eaten corn. So then I started looking for alternatives. Plus when I talked to Toby about this, he had told me all the food tasted like poop. He like refused to eat it. He was very adamant about it because he had always loved food. And if he was going to live the rest of his life eating crappy food, he didn't want to do it. You know what I mean? And he was very like adamant about it. So I was like, oh my gosh. So I started exploring and found um, Dr. Harvey's. Um, yep. That's what we use. As an alternative. And it's yeah. been fantastic wow. and now I have you know five different dogs for different health reasons on a gently cooked meal and it's been life-changing it's incredible for their health um all with different type of health situations some you know is renal some is uh digestive one had a salivary gland issue and it's been really helpful keeping it open because of all the moisture in the food so yeah. just all these different journeys um, with with health um, that have really been so life-changing for me. And I think what I noticed a lot with my animals was I've had a lot of red herrings with diagnoses. Um, this happened with my dog, Olive, specifically where... Um, I took her and she was having kind of some hard time breathing and it kind of took me by surprise. And I thought we should get this checked out. And they did an x-ray of her chest and she has a huge tumor growing near her heart. It's actually displacing the trachea. And so they gave her days to weeks to live. They said, this is clearly very aggressive. Um, in hindsight, looking back, we have no idea how long the tumor has been there. Um, that was a year and a half ago. And when I got her home, I realized, because I spend much more time with her than the vet does, that she actually had acid reflux. And when I switched her to a different food that she could process better, she lost weight, her breathing improved, her mobility improved. And um, 
you know, today's her birthday. So she's, she's doing very well. Yeah. She's doing very well. Brilliant. You know, food is medicine. I, at these last few episodes I've been chatting about, I'm currently recovering from major surgery where pretty much everything that has, that could go wrong has gone wrong. And one of the big challenges I've had has been this persistent nausea. And this has created, I've always, you know, been kind of a focus on healthy eating, healthy food, but I have been chanting to myself over and over again, food is medicine, food is medicine, food is medicine. And really, you know, asking myself before each, each choice I make, will my body know what to do with this? You know? And it's like, if it's, you know, and just kind of recognizing if, you know, is my body going to, going to take in the food and go, what what is this? What do you expect me to do with this versus, you know, and transitioning off of these processed diets, whether for ourselves or for our animals, we went through a, a similar process after my father passed about a year and a half ago. And my mother had a fall. I ended up moving in with her and inherited a dachshund because um, I pretty much mom needed a lot of help caring for our dachshund Flash Gordon. And so in Flash has had a wild ride in the last year and a half. He has, we've gotten him off a of kibble. We have gotten him into holistic veterinary care in addition to the traditional care that he continues to receive. Um, he's you know, we, we, we found uh, honest kitchen and then tra- transitioned to Dr. Yeah. Harvey's he's like, and I'm talking about a foodaholic, you know, I mean, he's the, he <laughs> hasn't ever met a food group. He doesn't like, it seems. And, you know, just having like warm, fresh meals. And what's surprising is how my mother, unlike me is a chef. She is incredible. Like I cannot boil an egg. She is amazing. You make a mate, like a regular hard boiled egg tastes like you should, you want to, you want to give her 20 bucks for it. Like it's that good. <laughs> and the satisfaction I see with her being able to do something so productive that her, you know, we want to show love to our animals. Yeah. We want to do more for them. And I mean, it's just such a gift of love to create a warm, nourishing, wholesome meal. And what's so cool about this is that it's so customizable. Oh, not so to go customizable. off, not to go off on <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's like, and Dr. Dr. Judy Morgan, who's one of our, she actually kicked off season three. So if you're listening to this and you want to go back and listen to the interview I did with her, she's amazing. She's a real proponent of these fresh food diets and really paying attention. Exactly what you said, Laura Marita, paying attention to the ingredients. If we can't pronounce it, perhaps we need to investigate further, <laughs> you know, same thing for our own diets. But I mean, the behavior change switching yes. I mean everything switching the shampoos to something like taking look like we don't have to knock everything over the head with a hammer yeah I and look at you know for somebody like me I don't tolerate western medicines very well well a lot of times our animals don't either and since most of our medicines have been tested on them when we go to the vet we discover that for instance, my parrot Pearl, uh, last time he had a little injury, he was given meloxicam parrot portion. And that's the same. I, we have some in our medicine habit for us. So it's like, we look at this and it's like, if I don't tolerate it very well, I can't necessarily expect that just because the vet says this is the right medicine that I don't need to watch my animal really closely and see if they're tolerating it well. Yeah. And this is, this is something that even my animals, they were on, when Oliver was originally diagnosed, she was put on Prevacoc, she was put on Gabapentin, 
And at one point she was giving me this feeling like I am, I am over-medicated. Like I, um, and I took her back in, we had labs redrawn and her renal condition had progressed. Now we can't say it's from that, but she definitely wanted to be taken off the medication. Um, she's still on some pain medication for arthritis, but you know, the Prevacox had to go. It was, it was just too much for her. Yeah. Um, at that point. And now, you know, she, she started doing chiropractic treatments. Um, so good. and it's so been good. huge, so huge good. difference. I mean, so this is something where I think I almost like to experience things myself. You know, if I'm going to take them to other people, I really like to have experienced them. So not like somebody told me that chiropractic care is really a good thing. You know, like I actually went and did it and I can see the huge changes, yes. not only in physical, yes. but in behavior, because her body feels better. It's moving better, um, which has been just huge, huge change for her because for her, her mobility is everything, you know, that's keeping her, her going. So I think that's so important. You know, there's so many different aspects of health. And I think you've probably seen this with your clients too, is that when they come, everything feels overwhelming. You know what I mean? There's too many options or there's there feels like no options. And just having somebody be able to go through and kind of sort that out for them and say, okay, well, let's, let's look at this or this looks like the primary area of concern. Let's focus on that a little bit more. You know, because sometimes when you have a major health problem, you have to take it in little little pieces. Maybe it's too much to handle all at one time or too many areas to explore. And we just need to take it in small bite-sized pieces to kind of create a game plan around it. And I think, I think that's really important. You know? Absolutely vital. And just having that emotional support and also just being, having the ability, having the option of inviting the animal to the conversations about their yeah. own health, their own well-being, and just really getting, really tuning in, even just the, um, the support and the validation for that pet guardian of saying, you know, here's what your animal shared with me about their personality, their temperament, what they love most about their life, what matters most to them and having that validation of the, of the pet parent or guardian saying, yes, that's what I, that's how I perceive them as well. And just, it's like, ah, oh, you know, and it's like, we awaken intuition in ourselves and in yeah. other human animals a little bit at a time. And so often these challenges, there's this story that I've been thinking about a lot lately of this, it's an old parable and I don't know where it came from, but it's this, this man and he, he had something really good happen to him and his neighbor across the fence was like, way to go, dude. And the guy's like, yeah, we'll see. And then he had something really crappy happen to him and his neighbor's like, oh man, I'm so glad I'm not you. I suck, you know? And, and the guy's like, yeah, we'll see. And it kept on going this way. And it, as it works out, some of the bad seeming stuff led to some of the best stuff. And so I, I often think about that when something happens, you know, with, with myself or with my animals. And I think, well, you know, maybe this was a heads up. Maybe this is instead of just going down that rabbit hole of yeah. totally freaking out, which we just do when we love somebody as much as we yes. love our companion animals, let me just take a step back and go, maybe this is happening so that we can stave off something that would have been much, much worse. I mean, that sounds like a negative perspective, but it can also be really positive. Yeah. Like, I maybe I'm going to learn something that yeah. is going to 
really improve quality of life for, for all of us. And, you know, so having said that, I feel like it's kind of at the point of conversation where let's talk about, you know, what if somebody is thinking to themselves, you know, I just, I don't really, I feel like my animal has something to say and I just am having trouble hearing them. Like what, what would you recommend? Like if somebody wanted to reach out to you, if they are maybe struggling or, I mean, a lot, there are a lot of veterinary shortages going on across the country probably in the world. There's a lot of, you know, lack of access to some of these holistic practices and people just start to feel very disempowered. And yeah. so I, you know, I'd love it if you'd share a little bit about how folks can reach you, how they can work with you, what you'd recommend for somebody, especially somebody that maybe has never had an experience of animal communication with their pet before. Yeah. So <laughs> people can always reach me at lauramarieac.com. They can always contact me through my website. And I think um, I'm also on Facebook at Laura Marie Appleman. So people can contact me that way as well. But if people have never had any type of communication with their pet, you know, we're going to start out really slowly, you know, any concerns you have, let's address those up front, you know, is, is, are you nervous about something? Cause I want people to be excited about the experience. I don't want them to go through the whole communication, like worried about their animal. Let's say a lot of times people say, I don't want to do a communication because what if my animal like complains about me, right? What if they used say to be me? <laughs> what if they say something bad? And normally the people that say that are the people that go to the ends of the earth for their animals. Normally animals don't say anything like that. You know, they're, they're very compassionate. They're very understanding because that's what animals, that's who animals are, you know? Um, but I think if you're, you're really nervous about that or, but if you're really feeling that experience, if you're really feeling that, that anxiety that your animal is trying to tell you something, you know, there's no reason to live every day like that, you know, just being able to have the validation um, of what they're thinking and feeling a lot of times takes away a lot of that pressure that we're feeling. Um, but also I think there's a lot of um, people that have pets in spirit and things like that, that can feel that guilt of, of things that happened or the what ifing. And it's nice to be able to, to have that. Um, my conversations, the way I do them are completely conversation style. So it's not me lecturing to you about the animal where we're just having an open conversation about them. And I think that's that's really nice because it's like I said, it's as important for me to connect with that individual as it is with the animal. Because by understanding their emotions and kind of um, their concerns, that helps me to kind of address things in a way that kind of helps bring that comfort back to them. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I so enjoyed chatting with you, Omari. It's been a really a rare treat. Um, and, you know, and again, it's like, you know, if, you, if you're listening or you're watching and you're either considering working with an animal communicator or you're considering, you know, kind of embarking on your own journey of, of, of opening up your intuitive pathways and experiencing interspecies conversation, you know, we're all different. And, you know, Absolutely. Lori, you really, um, you really referenced this early, earlier. And so it's very important to just allow your yourself to have the experiences and, and recognize that even the 
practice of choosing who you want to work with is part of awakening your intuition. Just if you're having trouble choosing someone, because let's face it, we're getting more numerous, which is pretty darn awesome. Try feeling, just feeling it, just having a look at the website or listening to a video, listening to, you know, some of these, these past podcasts, I've got a a wonderful, if you go to animallovelanguages.com backslash podcast, you can, or go head over to YouTube, you can, um, you can, you can listen to lots of different communicators. How does their voice sound to you? What is their manner like? And just start to feel, you know, I just, there's something about this person. This is, this is where the spark ignites and you start to open up those pathways. We all have one or two that tend to be dominant. We all have one or two that we tend to prefer using. And uh, we all have different life experience, kind of the nature and nurture where we all have different life experiences that may lend itself to practicing in different areas. And so just, I just want, you know, it, you can never go wrong by allowing your yourself to have the experience and just recognize that whether it's a slam dunk, knock it out of the park, or it's kind of like, huh, I don't know what that was. There's more to be revealed. You yes, know, there's absolutely. more experiences to be had. There's many, many, many different ways to interse- interact across species boundaries. And there's many different ways to have a conversation and, uh, we, you know, there, there's many opportunities to, uh, to learn that, uh, that you can take advantage of and I'm just getting really distracted. Those of you who are watching the vlog cast, you're seeing somebody has decided it's time for afternoon neck feathers. And when you're almost 24 years old, but you want, you get right. He said, well, I wanted, I got what I wanted even when I was a tiny five week old chick. Yes, you did. So on that note, we're very animal friendly around here. On that note, Laura Marie, it's been lovely talking with you. Truly appreciate the donation of your time and your expertise. You can find Laura Marie Appleman at lauramarieac.com. And you can find me and more importantly, my menagerie at animallovelanguages.com. And please do visit the podcast archives. You can You can fill up your podcast playlist with lots of wonderful tales of amazing conversations with animals that really, truly, they've been life-changing for me. My guests tell me that they are life-changing for them, and they are most definitely life-changing for the animals and the planet. So if you want to be a part, this is a really good way to join in. So until next time, we look forward to welcoming you back next week for another great episode of Let's Talk to Animals and uh, sending you all our, our love and bye for now.